Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this podcast, Matt and I take a deep dive into a recent blog post he wrote entitled, What CPB Tells Us About Subcultures. We take a look at the Customs and Border Protection Facebook group, which uh, had posts uh, replete with racist, sexist, and misogynist comments about immigrants, migrants, and Democratic politicians. Uh, we use it as an exploration of subgroups and subcultures within an organization. And as our want with Into the Weeds, we take a deep dive into Metcalf's Law, which explains the power of a network, i.e. subculture within an organization. It's a fascinating exploration of a case literally torn from the headlines, but has huge implications for the compliance practitioner around the groups within your organization. I know you will find it useful. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode. Today, Matt is on the opposite coast today, uh, taking some time off, well-earned time off, I should say, uh, to record a podcast uh, with me, uh, but on a very topical uh, matter so, uh, Matt, first of all, uh, welcome, and uh, tell uh, tell everyone where you're at today. So, hello, Tom, from lovely Anaheim, California, where I am attending the Institute of Internal Auditors International Conference. Um, I think there are about 2,500 people here from around the world, and I'll be here for some of the week and then be vacationing on the Pacific Coast somewhere for the rest of the week and hopefully avoiding earthquakes, which have not yet happened here today. But uh, we still have a few hours left in the day, so who knows? I was going to say the day's still early. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, you wrote a uh, a very interesting blog post last week about some, uh, frankly, uh, very disturbing information that came out about the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, mm-hmm. um, a group of employees uh, who had a subgroup, or rather a subgroup of employees who had a Facebook group that uh, had some pretty nasty posts uh, literally from uh, about migrants, about um, people who supported immigrants, uh, about what they do, the work they do. And um, you detailed a little of that, but you had a much broader uh, picture to paint with this uh, story. So you want to pick it up from there? Yeah, sure. I think probably most people are at least acquainted with the broad contours of this, that the uh, CPB was discovered to have a private Facebook group with roughly 9,500 members in it. Um, It has since come out uh, that there's at least one other private Facebook group uh, along similar lines here. 
Um, I assume the vast majority of members of these private groups are current or former CPB employees. They're posting some very nasty racist and misogynist and um, anti-democratic party uh, material, smears mostly. Um, there's no question that this material is offensive, but what really intrigued me was the fact that we have this subculture existing right under the nose of the CPB. And it, again, since I wrote that post last week, it has come out that perhaps CPB leadership knew about this post, this Facebook group for many years. But, um, you know, we've all seen this before, either at our organizations or at others, where the, um, the big corporate headquarters, like the Customs and Border Patrol website, has all this lofty language. Um, CPB actually says on its website, integrity is our cornerstone. We're guided by the highest ethical and moral principles, yada, yada. That's the culture we want. Well, no, it's not, because clearly the group shows there's this subculture festering right underneath the leadership's nose that is not at all ethical, not at all integrity. <clears throat> it is um, racist posts about migrants, misogynist posts about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and various other Democratic politicians, um, all sorts of very ugly crap that is existing in the CPB. So as there's this subculture that exists powered by social media, and that's the threat that compliance officers, I think, should be considering generally, because how often have we seen a company talk about its lofty culture, but there is this subculture in some part and uh, what's going on in the subculture is really antithetical to everything that the big executives at the C-level are talking about on their websites or with investors or the public or anything like that. And yet it's baloney because you can see that in the subculture, which in this case was outed and documented by this private Facebook group that became exposed in the news. So, so here we are. Matt, uh, certainly in the corporations I've worked uh, most employees were well aware of the individual employees who may have been uh, known for engaging in sexual harassment, who may have been known for uh, business practices that, uh, if not sharp elbowed, certainly went right up to the ethical line, if not stepped over. Um, those types of situations, is that uh, really what this is, multiplied by a group, or is this really something else? I, I would kind of say it's something else, because... It is not as if a subculture within a large organization is new. It's, it's not new. So we've always had these. And I even would say that subcultures are not really a problem that you can eradicate. They're more like a chronic illness that the company has to somehow manage. And you can do that through a couple of different things. And we'll continue the medical metaphor here. You know, you can have a corporate lifestyle choice such as um, good, healthy living about strong focus on ethical standards. You could have Regular medication against subcultures, such as employee satisfaction surveys, let you know how bad your subculture problem may or may not be. Um, you can even take disciplinary measures and whatnot. But the fact is, subcultures are always going to be with us. What really intrigued me was the social media dimension to this that really is giving employees a new way to ignore all of the other measures the company might take to try and reduce the prevalence or the influence of that subculture. If we can just isolate it over here, if we can document it and find it and work against it, maybe we can beat it back. 
that sounds really good in theory. But in practice, I think social media is giving employees these new avenues to exist beyond whatever culture you're trying to impress upon them. And the subculture is just like it's festering under your nose and social media drives it. It's something I think that is unique to how social media works. And that's really the, the much more pernicious and new emerging threat that ethics and compliance officers have to think about. Uh, Matt, for any first-time listeners to this podcast, I just want to remind them the name of this podcast is Compliance Into the Weeds, because yep. we do take a deep dive into the weeds and we geek out. Uh, usually it's around a formula or some other mathematical equation, but this week we're going to geek out over something you've identified as Metcalf's Law. You want to tell us about what Metcalf's Law is, why yeah. you find it to be so important, and how it really relates directly to this story? So this is fascinating, and anybody who um, has ever spent any time specifically in networking technology, you might have heard of Metcalf's Law. It's named after a technology and networking uh, pioneer named Robert Metcalf. Back in the 1970s and 1980, he came up with it, um, where um, Bob Metcalf, by the way, who is still alive, he lives in Boston, semi-retired. I've, I've met him several times. He's a very nice guy. He invented the Ethernet so the Ethernet cables that jack into your Wi-Fi routers or your old computers, somebody had to invent it. It was him. Metcalf came up with a metric to measure the strength of a network. And he said that the, the power of a network is not equal to the number of members in that network. It's actually equal to the square of those members, since every new member can talk to every other member. So now think about what that means. Let's say you have... Um, five members in your network. Well, the square of that would be 25. That is as strong as this network is. Like people might wonder, well, 25, what? We don't really know. It's more like that is just a relative measure. If you have five network, five members in your network, then you have a strength of 25. But if you double that, if you go from five to 10 members, the strength of it goes from 25 to 100. 10 squared is 100. So you've doubled the number of people in the network and you've quadrupled the strength of the network. So the point of it is that even with a relatively small number of new people coming into a network, it can get really, really powerful because they can all talk to each other. Now, this is where it gets spooky is, as I said, Bob Metcalf invented Metcalf's law in 1980. And at the time, he was thinking more in terms of devices that are connected to each other. So phones and fax machines, computers, all this stuff. And it makes intuitive sense, but he couldn't actually prove the strength of this law because he didn't have any data to do it. And it wasn't until social media came along in the mid 2000s, people started to realize what he's saying about the strength of networks for devices, that must also be true for networks of people, like we're starting to see in Friendster, and then Facebook, and then Twitter, and all of these other things. Again, nobody disputed the idea that networks increase exponentially. It makes sense, but nobody could prove it until 2013 when Bob Metcalf actually proved it with validated data that his law is correct, and he used Facebook data to do it. So 33 years before he actually proved this law and used Facebook, 33 years before that, he said that this is probably the way networks operate. There's a math behind it. 
And my point in explaining all of this, and I promise we're going to get back to social networks and corporate culture in a moment, everybody, is that there is a mathematical nature to why social networks are so powerful and why social media is so powerful. But because of that, that is why a subculture existing on social media becomes so powerful. You know, how many times have we sat around saying, how did so many people become involved in this? How has it taken root so deeply? How did this spread so swiftly? Because there is a mathematical nature to how social media works that drives the strength of a network. That's true whether it's computers, it's true whether it's people. And that is the sort of threat that we're up against as we're trying to fight subcultures. Well, if they're using social media to develop themselves, they're like, it's subcultures on steroids and it's gonna be really hard to fight this. I'm not necessarily sure I have all the good answers, but we have to understand just how dangerous this problem is because it's really dangerous. Uh, as Bob Metcalf gamed out 30 years ago and then he proved just a couple of years from today. Matt, in addition to the dangerous uh, nature of this power that you've articulated, there are some other uh, impediments to the compliance functionary, the compliance officer, um, or even a corporation taking action against these subcultures. Uh, do you want to kind of walk us through those? Well, yeah, there, there's a bunch here that um, even if you have this social media echo chamber that comes out of nowhere, suddenly swoops up half your employees. Now they're all talking to each other and you can't really hold them accountable because they're existing in their own echo chamber. And that's the threat. Well, then you want to say, we're going to have a policy that there's no more private networks. You can't have these. That is some sort of workplace policy violation. You're on dangerously thin ice if you want to try to do that. Um, the National Labor Relations Board has said that uh, Facebook groups can be protected speech uh, if employees in those groups are somehow acting as some sort of concerted effort to discuss workplace conditions. You're allowed to do that um, under the Na National Labor Relations Act. Um, I think that you, know, you could probably say the Trump administration is trying to weaken some of those protections around private communications that the Obama administration put forth. And clearly, if there's a Facebook group that exists, not really to talk about workplace conditions, but to talk about how much you really detest a certain type of ethnicity, that's probably not protected. You probably could try and take an action against these uh, members of this private Facebook group, but it's going to be very fact specific. And I don't know that many companies could make a blanket statement saying, you can't participate in Facebook groups about the company or you can't belong to any social network that talks about workplace conditions or what you do on the job. Um, you know, basically, yes, employees can do that. There have been case law where employees have been allowed to complain in private on Facebook about conditions they don't like. And here we are. So, you know, you I don't necessarily know that we've got an easy policy solution to say, we're going to block all these social networks. Um, never mind the fact that how are you going to find this private network if nobody tells you about it? Um, Facebook has very recently done this pivot where its whole strategy, Mike, uh, Mark Zuckerberg says, is now about fostering more private communications. Well, that plays exactly what into what these CPB employees wanted to do. They wanted to create their own subculture where they can talk freely and it good ethical standards be damned. If 
social media is going to be the tool that they're using. And one of the most powerful social media companies on the planet says that's our strategy to make money is we're going to enable these things. Um, and the law is not necessarily clear on how much a company could or could not police against these statements being made here. If you're a compliance officer trying to figure this out, like you don't have an easy path to figure out what to do. And that's where we are. Matt, uh, I'm not sure I feel any better about this situation after uh, recording this podcast with you. It seems like uh, this, uh, really the power of Metcalf's Law, uh, and the power of uh, social networks amplifying not only uh, messages, if we look at uh, corporations' uh, reputational issues, but here with the power of uh, and just an invidious message uh, can really uh, work to uh, not not just harm, but actually destroy a uh, culture you're trying to foster. I would say so. I mean, think about how swiftly CPB, which you know, frankly did not have a stellar reputation before this news came out. Uh, think about how swiftly people now have really become very cynical about what CPB is doing. Um, this agency has 20,000 employees. 9,500 of them are part of that private Facebook group we've been talking about. So that's nearly half of them. Um, you know, there is certainly a like this fundamental dynamic about the strength of networks and how strong they can be so quickly um, that they can exist beyond the reach of ethics and compliance officers trying to curtail them. Uh, the law is not, like I said, not necessarily on our side. One other point that I might want to bring up is you know, Facebook is one type of private networking group that is beyond the reach of most companies, but there are others out there that are more within your reach. So Glassdoor.com um, really is essentially a sort of quasi-open group where people can log on to complain about or praise or say whatever they want about their company. They can do it anonymously. You, the compliance officer, you, the HR person, you could join that group on Glassdoor. You can see what they say. You might be able to respond to them. Um, Blind.com is another uh, where Blind is more private than Glassdoor, but it is not as closed and hidden as Facebook. But Blind is one where once a certain threshold of employees sign up for it, I think it's about 200 or so, Blind will create a group where people can anonymously vent about their companies. Um, you could join that. And other members would not necessarily know that it's you, the HR or compliance person. They would just know that it is group number, group person, I don't know, number 584 out of 1,000. You know, you can see what's being said. You might be able to try and influence it. You might not. It's hard to say. But there are some people, businesses, that are trying to monetize being a bit more public with these groups, but still give the groups a place to vent, as opposed to Facebook, where you can really have a group that is festering under a rock and finally somebody tips it over and all sorts of crap scurries out in the sunlight. That is exactly what we saw with CPP last week. Um, so, like I said, Tom, I agree with you. This is not necessarily a good news story. This is an emergent fact of life for corporations, but it's worth thinking about just how dangerous this threat is of subcultures on the steroids of social media it's really going to be hard to police against it, but compliance officers do need to know what's, what, what the enemy is that they're up against, and that's what I was trying to get at with my post. Well, Matt, I think this is a story we're going to continue to follow. We've had uh, at least uh, two or three 
around uh, the uh, events uh, at the border. And uh, I think we're going to have uh, quite a bit more as well. For better or worse, I think you are right, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We're going to link to Matt's uh, blog post in the show notes, so you should check it out for more information on the uh, subculture at the CPB, as well as Metcalf's Law. If you want any more information, you can email Matt directly at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.